The scripture reading today is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. Please stand with me as I read. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on both sides. It's 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under known necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry, to be married to, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you. We have a fitting text for Father's Day. Uh, speaking on singleness, um, happy Father's Day to all the, the fathers in the room today. You're grateful um, to be able to be worshiping. Happy Juneteenth as well. Uh, before I get started, I just want to extend my invitation to you as well to join us tomorrow morning over at Park Community Church for a time of worship. Um, I plan to be there. I hope to see you there as well. Well, I have a confession to make as I get started today. A few weeks ago, I was looking at the preaching schedule uh, that John and I have. And I saw that this text was assigned to me, and I thought, hmm, it has some maybe a little hard things in there. I'm going to move myself down a week, and John can handle this text. In God's divine providence, he had us stay an extra week at the beginning of chapter 7. And so the text, once again, was assigned to me. So I am grateful, though, that I got to spend the last week or so uh, preparing this text, but sending some time in conversations with many of you on the topic of, of singleness, and uh, I'm grateful. Uh, I was challenged and encouraged by it, and I'm looking forward to spending this time in God's Word with you. As I was preparing, though, uh, there was many moments 
that made me feel like, gosh, who, who is going to want to hear a sermon about singleness from a guy who's married? And I just kept thinking to myself, that, getting, questioning that, asking myself, man, why is anyone going to listen? Well, I had to remind myself a number of times that the reason I'm speaking today and the authority by which I speak is not based on any experience or anything that qualifies me, but rather, uh, this is God's word for us today. And so just as I had to remind myself of that, I wish to remind you of that today. My request is that you would listen in today, uh, not because of anything that I have experienced or any particular wisdom I have, but simply because this is God's word for us. And today, God's word has us considering the value and purpose of singleness. If I was going to title, give a title to my sermon today, I would call it Reconsidering Singleness. Now, what I mean by that is that those of us who are married, we shouldn't be thinking about changing that. But what I do want us to think about, though, is, is how do we actually think about singleness? I think there's a lot of ways in which we need to rethink the way that we talk about and think about singleness. So I want to argue that uh, today, that the way we think about singleness needs to be reconsidered in the light of the gospel. And, and I believe that for us as a uh, congregation, it's going to take all of us. So this isn't just a, a sermon for those who are, are single, but this is actually uh, for all of us as a community as we think about this topic. As I mentioned, I am married, and uh, my wife Laura and I, we dated for a really long time. We dated all the way through our college years, and she and I went to two very different colleges. She went to a college about an hour south of Chicago, a small Christian university, and I went to school right here around the corner at DePaul University. Where she went to school, singleness was viewed as really like the plague, something you wanted to avoid at all costs. Ring by spring was absolutely the culture there. Many of her friends thought it was very strange that I hadn't proposed during all the years that, that I had been dating her through college. Singleness is something that was really dreaded there, something to be avoided. Whereas where I was going to school here at DePaul University in Chicago, man, singleness was embraced. It was the, the way uh, to live. I was kind of a unicorn in talking about wanting to get married after college. Uh, the idea there was that why would you want to hinder yourself or restrict yourself? Man, singleness allows you the freedom to pursue whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want two very different ways of viewing singleness, and I think that both ways have a lot wrong with them. And I want to propose an alternative way, a better way of thinking about singleness today. I would like us today, as I said, to reconsider singleness in light of the gospel, and I think for us to embrace this better way, it's going to take all of us, not just those who are single, but those who are married as well, to reconsider the way we think and talk about singleness. So before I get too far into the text, I want to pause and ask the Lord for his help. So would you just, uh, for a moment, uh, let's pause and go before the Lord and ask him uh, to be with us this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, we give you thanks that today we get to come before your word and to be shaped by it and molded by it. Father, I, I thank you for the freedom uh, in the gospel, the freedom from lies that we believe, freedom from finding fulfillment in relationships or material things. Father, I pray today that your word would go forth and it would accomplish what it, its purpose is. I pray, Lord, that you would increase our love for you, our delight in you. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would guard all that I say, that if there's anything that is false or untrue, that you would let it to pass away. But Lord, may what is true and right and good and beautiful, may it remain and may it point to your glory. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me situate us a little bit in the letter in the book that we're looking at, 1 Corinthians. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Paul talking about a whole bunch of different topics from sexuality to marriage to singleness to divorce. If you recall, if you actually have a Bible open in front of you, you can look at the beginning of chapter 7. And he begins this chapter by saying, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, Paul is responding to a letter that he received from the church in Corinth, and he's now beginning to work his way through these number of issues that they wrote to Paul about. Now, I realize it would be really nice to have the letter that the Corinthian church sent to Paul. We would know exactly what were the questions that they were trying to get cleared up. But what we have is Paul's responses, and what we know is that one of the questions that they had, one of the issues that they were wrestling with was, what should singles do? What should they pursue being married? Well, what about those who are engaged? Should they go ahead and get married? There was what seems to be some confusion in the church about what they ought to do. And as I've already mentioned, I think we too have some areas in which we need cleared up related to our, our way of thinking about singleness. So today, the way I'm going to structure our, our t- time together and the way that I think our, our text has us walking through it is three different sections. And What I want to do is really dismantle three misconceptions about singleness, three wrong narratives related to singleness. And so this is, as I said, not just a sermon for those who are single, but rather us as collectively, as a whole church, as a community, we together need to actually push back against these misconceptions. I think those of us who are married have often played a role in in perpetuating and reinforcing some of these misconceptions. So I want Holy Trinity Church, HTC, to be a community that together works against uh, living out a countercultural way of thinking about singleness. So to begin with, the first misconception that I want to dismantle related to singleness is that singleness is not all about self-indulgence. This is really the mindset of my friends and those who went to school with me at DePaul, Uh, this was the mindset that says that singleness is all about living a life of freedom, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. One of the great politicians of our time, Leslie Nope, said, every time a couple gets married, two single people die. She had a, a way of viewing marriage as something to be dreaded, that singleness was the way to live. And there might be some of you here today who think, yeah, man, singleness is great. The freedom that you have, the ability to to just decide things on your own without having to consider other people's schedules, it's one of the ways that our culture tells us that we should actually be alive, we should embrace our freedom, we should be open to doing uh, all sorts of things, pursuing our careers, pursuing travel, freedom that singleness gives us allows us to do that. Paul agrees that there's a level of freedom that comes with being single, but he suggests that this freedom isn't meant for self-indulgence, for fulfilling every desire we have, but rather he says that this benefit of this freedom is for self-denial. Now, before you check out, because what I just said didn't sound very interesting, let me just try to walk you through what's happening in the text. As I said, the Corinthian church wasn't really sure what to do about those who were single in in their community. They ask this question about what should the betrothed do? This word betrothed, yes, it has a connotation of those who are engaged, but it also could be translated virgins, those who haven't uh, been married yet. 
And here they're asking, well, should they go ahead with being married or not? And some of their confusion about whether they should be married or not might have been brought about because there was this false teaching that was becoming popular around this time that said that everything in the world, everything that's material and physical was bad. And that to be holy, to be pure was to really turn away from anything of this world. And marriage and sexuality were part of that. And so they were beginning to think, well, maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should renounce being married. Well, Paul, he actually very particularly goes out of his way to denounce that false teaching. He says, it is no sin to get married. He refutes this teaching, but he, he says, yes, there's freedom in whether you are to get married or not to get married. But he says for us today that there might be some, some benefit to not pursuing marriage. Look at verse 25 with me, and we can maybe put that up on the screen. This is what he says. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Before telling the church some of the benefits of pursuing singleness, he goes out of his way to make sure he he says that what he's about to, to tell them is not a command from the Lord. I think sometimes we subtly, or not so subtly, communicate to one another that if we are going to be good and faithful Christians, we should pursue marriage. Scripture never commands marriage. It doesn't command singleness either. There's freedom in this. And Paul says that there is freedom that we can choose whether to pursue marriage or not. But as he's responding to the church in Corinth, he wants them to really understand that that singleness actually, for them, might be the better way. He says that in light of the present distress, it might be best for them to remain single. He doesn't really clarify what this distress is. Many commentators think that this distress is just referring to living as Christians in a hostile world, being a Christ follower in a world that has rejected him. But either way, Paul is making this point that for some, it actually might be better to remain single. He says that those who are married will inevitably have concerns that will preoccupy their minds, some troubles that they will face in life, uh, whether it's having to keep track of schedules or joint finances or raising children, you know, education of children, the health of children, the cost of children. There's a couple of troubles that come along with having children. And he says that as a single person, you'd be spared of some of these troubles. Paul indicates that as someone who is single, there's, a, like I said, a certain level of freedom. But this freedom that he speaks of is not to just live a carefree life, a freedom to be abused, but rather a freedom to pursue holiness. Here he continues in verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul's reason for maybe considering singleness is that the world is passing away as we know it, or the time is short, as he says. His reason is an eschatological one, that the end is approaching, that Christ is going to return. And it's his return is quickly coming. The end of the story should inform how we live in the present. And so Paul is saying that because the end is quickly approaching, it might be better to remain single. 
Paul's words here in instructions in 29 through verse 31, it's a form of rhetoric. He doesn't actually want people to to just stop doing what they're doing, to stop being married or stop working. Uh, No, but it's a a form of of rhetoric that, that actually tells us that our present circumstances are not ultimate. That for those of us who are living in this world, there is many things happening around us, but we should not lose sight of the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says that those who are single have a a certain degree of freedom that shouldn't be used to entangle themselves in all the things of the world, but rather it's a freedom that should be used to pursue purity and preparedness for the coming day of the Lord's return. Uh, Historians have commented about how Christianity was actually one of the very first religions to legitimize being single. If you were were to think back to um, the ancient times, Marriage was really, really important. It determined your socioeconomic status, your your spot in society. It was a way in which you could ensure that people would remember you. It was a security net for you to know that someone would care for you in your old age. But because Christians have hope in the return of Christ, we no longer need to place our trust in having a family that's going to remember us after we pass away. Tim Keller, he writes this about this particular passage. He says, There was no more radical act in that day and time than to live a life that did not produce heirs. Having children was the main way to achieve significance for an adult, since children would remember you. They also gave you security, since they would carry you, or care for you in your old age. Christians who remained single then were making the statement that our future is not guaranteed by the family, but by God. Do you see how... Having a full picture of Christ's return actually allows us to legitimize the Christian life, and also it allows us to no longer idolize marriage. This was a really radical instruction that Paul was giving at this time. To think that a single life would be a a holy life was really never thought of at the time. And we as a church, we have some work to do in de-idolizing marriage, And remembering that actually a life of singleness is also a life that can be a life of holiness and pursuit of the Lord. Jen Oshman is a Christian writer and apologist, and she actually has pointed out that somehow, in some ways, the church, in pushing back against some of the cultural norms, our cultural trends, like, uh, let's say, the self-autonomy or one-night stands or the sexual revolution, as the church has pushed against those trends, we have elevated marriage to a level it shouldn't have been. And it's come at the cost of, of pushing down and thinking that singleness isn't actually uh, a life that is, uh, can be lived rightly before the Lord. It's, it's actually a byproduct of, of uh, singles feeling like they're a second class is a byproduct sometimes of us elevating marriage too much. We've all been to a wedding where we've spoken about how uh, marriage points to the coming reality of being united with Christ forever. It's a beautiful thing, yes. But I would also argue that those who remain single have a way of pointing to a coming reality as well. That those who remain single, as Tim Keller wrote, have a way of proclaiming that our trust is not in the things of this earth, our present circumstances, but it's in Christ and his return. Here at Holy Trinity Church, we have seven values, and one of those values is the richness of community. And we as a church, we need one another 
We need people who are married and those who are single. We need people who are, who are working and those who are retired, those who have kids and those who don't have kids. And we are better off when we surround ourselves with those who are in different stages of life because we all reflect a different aspect of, of, of the truth of, of the gospel. And, and so I want to remind us, Holy Trinity Church, that, that those who are married, yes, they have a way of, of displaying the goodness of the gospel, but those who are single, you also have a way of displaying this great reminder of Christ coming. You set an example for us that we should all be people who are seeking to be prepared and pure for the coming day of the Lord. So if you are single, don't believe the lie that singleness should be all about self-indulgence. Rather, use your freedom to pursue, to, to live a countercultural way, to, to actually seek to self-denial in order to to seek holiness and purity. In our culture, self-denial is, is often viewed as, as odd or even cruel to do. But we as Christians, we need to reframe our way of thinking about self-denial in terms of an act of faith. That instead of engaging every desire we have and getting entangled in every aspect of life, rather in remaining free from these things, we are proclaiming to the world that our trust is in the Lord. If you're married today, don't seek to change that, as Paul says, but look to your single friends and as a reminder to you that this form, the form of this world is passing away and that we must live lives in light of the end and in the light of the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And just as marriage points to that coming reality of Christ's return, so do those who are single in our community. And they remind us and they demonstrate to us that we we should not place our hope or our trust in, the, in our current circumstances, but rather we need to place them in our Savior and his return. So, the first misconception I'm trying to dispel is that, that singleness is just a life of self-indulgence. We need to push back against that. But a second misconception that I want to push back against today is the idea that singleness is all about just a season of waiting, a season of waiting to finally get married. I think we do a disservice to those in our community who are single if we perpetuate the idea that, oh, we just wait around for the right person. Scripture never guarantees marriage. Elizabeth Woodson is a writer, and she tells her story about the evolution of her thinking around singleness. And she tells how, for as long as she could remember, she had always had this list of things she wanted to accomplish in life. And as she went through life, she began to check off different things on her list. But the thing that continued to always be on her list was to get married. She writes that, uh, I started working and got another degree, and still I was as single as a dollar bill. I had accomplished most of the major goals except the one that hovered at the top of my list. So I started to entertain the question that most singles love to avoid. What if I never get married? She goes on to say that she asked this question not as a way of giving up, hope of getting married, but rather it was a way of her trying to figure out what to do with her sadness. There's probably some here today who are single, and when you think of, of your singleness, it brings up feelings of loneliness or sadness. And I hope that today in this community that you would not carry that alone, that we as a community would actually walk with you and that we might be able to carry that burden. As I said, I think we we do a disservice to those who are single as we perpetuate the idea of singleness as just a season of waiting that should be endured 
and we just need to wait for it to end. Paul speaks of singleness very differently in this passage. He actually speaks of it uh, in verse 35. He says, I write this not to put a restraint upon them. Though the word restraint in verse 35, it also could be translated as a noose. He is giving this instruction not as to have this noose around their neck, but rather something to be embraced, that this singleness is not something to be a burden, but rather something that can be enjoyed and is actually an opportunity to be devoted to the Lord, as he goes on to say. In this second section of the passage, verses 32 through verse 35, Paul does this comparison. He compares those who are married to those who aren't married. And if you have one of those scripture journals or if you'd like to mark up your Bible, as I read these verses, circle all the different references to the word anxious. This is verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I I appreciate the ESV, the translation that I just read, because it points out the kind of the unity of this section of the scriptures where you can see this repetition of of a similar word. He's making this point that those who are married, they, they have to be focused on and, and at times anxious about caring for their spouse, whereas those who are unmarried are able to have this undivided devotion to the Lord. But, you know, you and I today, we have this connotation around ang- the word anxiety or anxiousness. It's, it's a negative word. And so we can read this as, man, it's a, it's a bad thing to be thinking about your spouse, Another way of actually translating this might be the word concern, uh, that we could actually say that, that those who are married need to be concerned about their spouse, uh, that the married man needs to be concerned about the needs of his wife, or the married woman needs to be concerned about uh, the needs of her husband. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but rather it's a reality, just the fact of life, that those are things that someone who is married needs to be concerned about. But those who are single, he says, are able to have this beautiful and unique, undivided devotion to the Lord. This is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that someone who is single doesn't have people that they are deeply concerned about, thinking about, at times even worrying about. But rather, what what Paul is saying here is that those who are single do have this unique way of, of of being able to serve and devoting their entire life to the Lord. I'm not saying that, that we all of us shouldn't devote our entire life to the Lord. Rather, uh, it's just this reality that the uniqueness of singleness provides a freedom and flexibility to serve. And I'm also not saying that we should expect all the singles to be the ones who sign up to serve every time we have a volunteer list because those who are single have a plethora of ways of serving. I know that for my family, it's often those who are single who I can call when we have issues at weird times and they had the flexibility to come and be there to help. Or I know that it's those who are single in our community who, who love and care for our children and have the flexibility and time sometimes to come and watch our kids. I want us to expand the way we think about what it means for those who are single to be able to serve and to love our church, to be fully undivided devotion to the Lord. I want us to stop thinking about singleness as a, a season of life to just be endured. Uh, I want us to see singleness as a, a 
as a really valuable time that, that all of us uh, can look to those who are single as an example set before us of what a life fully devoted to the Lord should look like. It's not a season to just wait around to, to wait for someone to devote your life to. Rather, if you're single, you are called to have this undivided devotion to the Lord. In our fragmented and distracted world, we need those who are single around us to model for us and to remind us that we need to have, be single-minded in our pursuit of the Lord. As I said, singleness is not a time for self-indulgence. It's not just a season of waiting around. Paul, he commends singleness because it affords a freedom that leads to holiness and devotion to the Lord. As I move to the third misconception, though, I just want to pause for a second, and I want to ask you when, you, when you think about singleness, what words come to mind? Maybe what comes to mind is the, the idea of, of freedom and flexibility or simplicity, or maybe the words of loneliness and sadness come to mind. Today, I want to leave you with three very particular words to hold with you. The words of holiness, as we've talked about, the words of, of devotion, undivided devotion, but a third one is the word joy. This third misconception that I want to dismantle is the idea that those who are single can't fully enjoy life, that somehow they are missing out on something. As we come to the last section of the, the passage here, we find that, that those who are single have a way of delighting in the Lord that is just as full as anyone else. I don't know if you've ever wondered whether God cares about your happiness. I think it's, it's wrong for us to think that God doesn't really care if we are happy as long as we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. I believe actually God deeply cares about our joy. And I think a major part of being Christians is growing in our ability to enjoy the things of this world, to be able to embrace the, a great friendship, to enjoy a sunset, to know the bliss of an afternoon nap. We as Christians should, above all, be able to enjoy these things. What Paul says next is that Yes, we should take joy in things like getting married uh, as long as we see these things as what they really are, things to be enjoyed, not things to be idolized. This is what he says in verse 36. He says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, it has to be. Let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is not a sin. Paul makes clear that it's not a sin to love someone and to marry them. He repeats this in verse 37. He says, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desires under control, and has determined uh, in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul says that as long as your emotions are, are not you know, overcoming you or, or controlling you, it, it's not a bad thing to be able to embrace marriage to embrace good things in this world. He even says that, that you will do well to get married. But it's this last phrase that I just read a moment ago that maybe confuses you a bit. When he says these words that he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Why would anyone refrain from something that we're told is good? Why would anyone want to refrain from, from marriage? In a culture we believe, in our culture, we believe that strongly that you should do everything that makes you happy. Uh, we are constantly told that we should, we should follow our passions and our desires. I mean, isn't this how we're told to make decisions? We're told to think about, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, what makes you happy? Or what is, uh, what is it that you want to do? 
It does not add up in our mind then for someone to deny themselves or to refrain from something that, that is good. When Paul says this, it may seem odd to you. And the problem with our culture, constantly telling us to do what we desire, it communicates to us that to live a fulfilled life, to be living our best life, to be fully human, we need to meet every desire we have. This, is, this has enormously damaging effects, especially when it comes to sexuality. I know that we're in the middle of June and this is Pride Month and it's become clear that sexual identity has become fundamental to our, our self-understanding and self-expression. There's a, a writer, Sam Alberry. He is a, a single uh, man who has same-sex, uh, same-sex attracted and he talks about the problem of making sexuality or sexual identity the foundation for self-understanding. And I, I, want, I just want you to hear what he has because this is very profound. He says, if we... If we are to define, are defined by our sexual and romantic desires, then we are really saying that our sexual desires need to be met in order for us to be fully ourselves. Your ability to be authentically and fully you is contingent on being able to lead a sexually and romantically fulfilled life. The problem with this is that it leads us to think that a life without this is barely a life worth living, that those who, for any reason, are unable to fulfill their sexual desires are missing out on the one true chance they have of being fully who they are. We need to realize how damaging this message can be to someone. That's what Sam Alberry writes, and I think it's an important reminder for us that in the gospel we find a very different way of finding fulfillment, a very different way of defining ourselves. Sam Alberry, he goes on to say that the gospel tells us that we don't need to find our ultimate identity in the person that we most love, but rather we find our identity in the one who most loves us. I want to say that again. The gospel tells us that we don't need to find ultimate identity in the person we most love, but rather we find ultimate identity in the person who has most loved us. You don't need the title of husband or wife to be assured that you are loved. You don't need to be married to know that you are wanted. You don't need marriage to feel like you have a place to belong. In Christ, we find that not only does God know our deepest longings, but we find someone who desires to meet those needs and those longings. I realize that you may hear this all this morning, and yeah, you might believe these are misconceptions about singleness, and you might very well believe that, yeah, I should be, be, be embraced by the love of, of a loving father. But I understand that sometimes our emotions don't always follow logic. And this is why we, as a community, need each other. That we, as a community, need to actually push back against these misconceptions, and we need each other to help live this countercultural way to bring every area of our life under the lordship of, of, the, of God. Whether you're married or not, we need help remembering that our joy is ultimately not in a relationship to a spouse, it's not in children, it's not in a job or in a home or anything that we can obtain with our own hands. It is a joy that only comes as a gift from our loving Father. So this morning, we've, we've talked a lot about freedom. Freedom to choose whether to be married or not to be married, a freedom to pursue holiness, freedom to be devoted to the Lord, but we also have this freedom from having to find joy and fulfillment in the things of this world. Rather, we are set free to enjoy and be content in our Savior and Lord. It means that our joy is no longer shaken when illness comes our way or when expectations around being married or not don't, come, don't, don't end up coming to fulfillment. 
It means our joy isn't shaken when financial trouble hits us. It means our joy is, is, not, uh, is not on the shifting sands of this culture and in this world. If you remember for just a moment just how countercultural all of this, all of these instructions were that Paul is writing about, he finishes with just as uh, profound and, and maybe even confusing to the original readers of a countercultural call to living. He finishes by addressing widows, those who have lost their husbands, and he reminds them that they too have a freedom. He writes them in verse 39, a wife is, is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too had the Spirit of God. If you remember, being, being uh, married determined your, your acceptance in society, your socioeconomic status, your future. It was security. And so for, for Paul to say, you might be happier remaining single, would have been confounding to the original reader. The idea that the gospel provides us a fulfillment and joy that's not contingent upon our marital status or relationships is very countercultural even today. The fact that he says that, that you may be happier by remaining single is a reminder to us all that we ultimately need to, need to check our hearts, that we're not finding our greatest joys in the things of this earth, but that we are placing our joy and finding it in our Lord and Savior. And again, I just want to pause and say that Paul says that you might be happier, but for those of you this morning who are single, and, and you might say, that has not been my experience of singleness, that it has been hard, and it has been a lonely journey, and it has been, been difficult. I just want to remind you that, that in Scripture, it doesn't promise marriage. It doesn't promise that all of our expectations are going to be met. But what the Scriptures do tell us is that it tells us about a loving father, who knows our needs. And his presence with us, it doesn't make those longings disappear or those hurt, that, that hurt go away, but his presence allows us to experience contentment and joy and peace in the midst of a world of broken expectations. So I'm, I want to finish this morning with just a couple of points of application. To those of you who are single this morning, I want you to know a couple of really important things. I want you to hear this morning that, you are, that God deeply is concerned about you. Your singleness has a way of allowing you to pursue purity in a world of corruption. Your singleness allows you to be, have this undivided devotion to the Lord in a unique and beautiful way of serving. Your singleness doesn't need to be a hindrance to your joy. And your value in this community isn't based on your ability to volunteer for everything, but rather your acceptance and and belonging in this community is because the Lord has brought you here, and we are richer because of that. You are loved by God, endowed with gifts to serve the church. And in so doing, you are reminding us all uh, that we are called to a freedom uh, to... Um, give me one second. we're okay okay sorry for that i'll just finish here with this with this reminder to us that we are going to trust the lord as we come to a close this morning uh, that whether you are married or single we find our freedom in the lord 
If you are not yet a believer this morning, I just invite you to find, your, uh, find not just a, an alternative way of thinking about singleness here today, but a gospel that we place our hope and our trust in. We're going we're gonna to wrap up at this point, and uh, I'm going to pray, and we'll continue in, 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 a, in a song. I think we just had a, a, a moment that uh, maybe a, an issue that we're going to deal with in the, in the back, a medical emergency, but we're going to take care of that. But let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and loving Father, we come before you today because you are a good and loving Father. And Lord, whether we are married or single, we need to bring every area of our life under your Lordship. Father, I pray that we would see how the gospel is not just uh, gives us an alternative way of thinking about singleness, but Lord, it gives us a new way of viewing our whole life. Father, I pray today uh, that Lord, as we uh, leave this space, that we would once again look to you for our contentment and our joy in this life. Father, grow us as a community to push back against the false lies and misconceptions that we, our culture shapes us to believe. So Lord, may we take captive every thought. May we love one another. And may we display the unity and goodness of the people of God. And may we ultimately place our trust and our hope in the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.